As Presbyterians, there's like this reverse magnetism between our hands that, that don't allow us to clap. But please clap your hands for the fact that this woman has put up with me for 12 years. So that was a decent Presbyterian clap. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting. Today is, is our anniversary. And, um, you know, here's something that's cool. I just realized this this morning. Um, that the passage I'm preaching on today was actually the, the passage that was preached on at our wedding. And so that's really kind of cool uh, to think about. Um, but um, I have learned a lot about marriage in the past uh, 12 years. Uh, but one of the things I've learned is that there's nothing better on earth uh, than a happy and wonderful marriage. And I was reminded of the Old Testament version of the doghouse um, for men is uh, Proverbs 21.9 when it says, It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a, a quarrelsome wife. So that's like corner of the house, corner of the roof is like the doghouse, right? But here's the other side of the coin. Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. And so praise God that I and many of you have found such a wife. Praise the Lord. Side note, just here, because we're here, might as well talk about it. There are so many people, and maybe you're one of them, and you have experiences that have lead, led you to be very skeptical about marriage, about the institution of marriage. There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, we, But marriage, as God has defined it, is still the greatest gift other than Jesus Christ that you can have on earth. He designed it perfectly, and you cannot improve on that design. You can't change the definition of it. And if you do, you will just hamper the inst beautiful institution that God has created. I don't know if any of y'all are car people. Uh, I'm not, but I appreciate certain types of cars. And Josh and I were talking recently about why the Porsche hasn't changed much over the decades. And the reason is you can't improve upon perfection. Right? You can't improve upon perfection and so my question to you, if you're contemplating, desiring, praying for marriage, or if you're in one, is are you in it and operating in it according to God's design? If you are, you will reap the blessings, I promise you. If you're not, I'm begging you to try. Amen? Alright, so here we go. We're back into Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking this morning... Um, at verses 4 through 10, at, excuse me, 4 through 9, verses 4 through 9, we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, and the title of the sermon um, is The Duty of Rejoicing. One of the things that I want you to do when you read Scripture is, is I, I want you to read it carefully, I want you to meditate on it, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and here's the reason why I need you to be shocked at certain things. Because there are certain things in Scripture that are shocking, and unless you can capture that, you can't see what's going on. And the shocking thing, particularly for us in, this, in our culture, is the fact that God commands joy in this passage. Commands it. And we don't think about joy like that. We don't think about happiness like that. We think about happiness and joy are things that kind of come to us. They kind of, we receive them as a gift. They're not something that we can capture and take a hold of. But Paul is commanding it here. And he's not, this is not the only spot in the Bible where, where joy is commanded. It's as if to say 
that love and joy, specifically joy in this passage, is a choice. And we struggle to believe that. That we can choose joy or choose love. But here it is. And so the title of the sermon this morning is The Duty of Rejoicing. And the question that I want us to be asking as we move through this, is that fair? Is is that fair for God to require our rejoicing? Okay? Um, Is that fair? Is that fair? Okay. Um, I, I'm going to tell you a hypothetical story about some children that I may or may not have experience with. Okay. Um, imagine a scenario that I'm he- I hear happens in other people's houses. Um, that one kid smacks another kid, and the parent jumps in and says, Tell your sister you're sorry and mean it. Right? And then the response is, I'm sorry. You know? Or, or maybe there's another one like, like, listen, honey, you are not going to ruin this vacation. Daddy paid a lot of money for it. Fix your attitude right now. Be happy. Smile. Okay, Daddy. Now, one of the questions, that, is this a good, I've thought about this question a lot, right? Is this a good parenting strategy to tell, to tell kids to force an emotional attitude change on your children? Or, or to at least ask for it? Is that, a good, is that a good parenting strategy? Many, many would say no, it's, it's, it's wrong uh, to try and, and change feelings. Feelings have to happen naturally, uh, and we have to be concerned about people's heart. And I agree with that. We do have to be concerned about our heart. But I do think that we're also naive if we don't think that our mind influences our heart and that our emotions flow through what we deeply believe. And so there's a part of, while it's incomplete, there's a part of, listen, you have a choice right now. You have a choice right now to, to realize what you've done and be sorry. Or there's, you have a choice right now that you can be miserable and punished or change your attitude. That If you will change a fundamental thing that you believe in this moment, that you might experience different emotions. Maybe that's the reason that God can command our joy. I still remember a, a moment from my, my childhood. My mom makes fun of me all the time because I don't remember enough of our childhood. But I remember I wasn't... We typically define happiness like this. We get what we want. We're happy, right? I'm getting what I want in life. I'm happy, right? Joy is different than that. We'll talk about it. But I remember I wasn't getting what I want. I don't even remember what it was. It just wasn't getting what I wanted. And so my default was at that, at that point in time was I went to my room and I pouted, right? Sat on the bed or wherever and just pouted. And I remember my dad came into the room and said, like three sentences, and I still remember him. He said, listen, son, just want you to know, you only have one life to live. And I remember my childhood. It was a lot of fun. You know, some days I wish I could go back, but I can't but you can. So just think about that. You could be outside, or you could be sitting in here in your room. Just think about it. And then he walked out. And I started thinking about it. What I'm doing in here is foolishness. What what is my pouting going to do? That truth triggered an emotional change. And I went outside and had a great day. Right? It's one of those, I hope I have some of these moments, one of these like dad Yoda moments. You know what I mean? Um... 
where you can speak truth in a way that your children understand it. So, what does this passage have to say about joy and specifically the duty that we have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ to rejoice? If you would please give your attention to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading this beautiful passage uh, beginning at verse 4. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, and this is God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we have a simple prayer that you would help us to worship you over your word this morning and that you would allow my mouth and soul to convey truth and that you would allow all of our hearts in, to receive that truth and that you would keep uh, my mouth from error. And also ask God that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together as we worship you over your word would be pleasing in your sight. You are rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Big idea this morning, it goes like this. Choose joy, because God commands your joy, and He never commands what He does not supply. Choose joy, because God commands your joy, and He never commands what He does not supply. God commands all kinds of things in the Bible. They're actually very difficult. We just sang a, a song a minute ago about how God commands us to take up our cross and live after Him, to die to some of our desires, give up some of our rights in the pursuit of God and, and hit, being faithful to Him and, and walking it after the example that has been set before us by the Apostle Paul or Jesus Christ Himself. God calls us to do all, all kinds of hard things, but He always provides a path to obedience. The problem is we often do not walk in that path. God always provides a way to faithfulness and sometimes we choose sin. And the message of Christianity is this, is that even in the midst of your sin, God has made a way through Jesus Christ. That is the point of the cross in the empty tomb. God has made a way. What is the biggest problem in your life? What is the biggest problem in your life? This is the foundation of joy is that whether you realize it at this moment or not, and I hope you do, I really do, I have, the biggest problem that you're, is your life, in your life is whether or not you're reconciled to God. And through the blood of Christ, if you are reconciled to God, your greatest problem is over. And if that is true, you can have joy despite, in spite of all the circumstances that come in front of you. That is the foundation of what joy is. What's the opposite of joy? I asked this question, so I was thinking about that this week. What's the opposite of joy? And I thought the answer initially was sadness. But I don't think that's true. I think the opposite of joy is hopelessness. 
Because it's a deep sadness, just like joy is a deep happiness, right? If you're in Christ, there is no hopelessness. There's only hope. That's the foundation of this passage. There is no commandment to which you do not have the power to obey in Christ, okay? So what my goal for you today is to choose joy and have peace. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. And the second thing I want for you is I want you to know the disciplines required to pursue it. I want you to choose joy and have peace, and I want you to know the disciplines required to prove it. Because in the back half of this passage, Paul actually gives us something to do, okay, in order to have joy and peace. Four points this morning. The choice and duty of joy, the source of joy, the connection between joy and peace, and the disciplines of joy. And they won't all get equal airtime, okay? The, the choice and the duty of joy, the source of joy, the connection between joy and peace, and the discipline of joy. First of all, the choice and duty of joy. If you look at verse 4, again, you can see the commands here. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. You may be able to tell by the exclamation point in your translation, but in the Greek, these words are in the imperative, which means command. Do it, right? Rejoice, no options. Rejoice, and then he says it again at the end of it. Rejoice, and he says it when he opens up this letter to the Philippians. Rejoice, and if that weren't enough, he says always. Now this is what I'm talking about, about what I want you to be shocked sometimes when you're reading Scripture or you'll miss the teaching behind it. Is this not unreasonable? Rejoice always? I mean, as you're reading it, I want you to be thinking, this is not true to my expression of life. How is it possible to rejoice always? I mean, joy is something that comes to me. It's a mixture of the good things that kind of naturally or organically come into my life, right? How can that happen at all times? This is a pipe dream, unless that's actually not what joy is, right? If that's not what joy is at all, then... Makes sense. Paul commands our rejoicing, and he also commands it all the time. But if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he's actually a pretty trustworthy subject when it comes to this. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he's constantly rejoicing and praising God, and he's praising God for the Philippians. In, in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul is rejoicing because Jesus Christ is being preached even by those with bad motives. And in ni verse 19, Paul asserts that he will continue to joy rejoice because he believes that his imprisonment is leading to the furthering of the gospel. Instead of complaining about his imprisonment, he's so filled with joy that he's looking and seeing that God, how much God is actually using this to save the world. What a unique perspective. And then... In, in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, in other words, even if my life is being emptied out so that you might be able to know God, if that's the case, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. There is a deepness to Paul's joy that seems to go against all of the things that we typically believe about happiness and joy. Why? Well, let's look at the definition of joy for just a minute. The dictionary says joy is, 
is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Uh, one of the professors at CIU defined joy this way. His name was Harold Burchett. He said, joy is not a mere feeling. I like this. This is an illustration. It's a tide of well-being based on truth. A tide of well-being based on truth. Our outlook is bright because we are on the winning side. Think about a tide. How long does it take a tide to come in? Hours. How long does a tide stay in? Hours. It's not just here and gone based on a circumstance or a wind or a breeze or a boat going through the water. It's here to stay, and it's going to be here for a while. It takes six hours on the average for a tide to come in and out. A tide of well-being, that's what joy is. A deep joy that sticks around and is there uh, for a while. Another, another man that I was listening to talk about joy described it as a buoyancy of truth in your life. In other words, your circumstance may not always be peachy, but you will never sink. You're going to be afloat because you're on the winning side. Joy is a deep happiness based on two things. Number one, current realities. And number two, future hopes. Okay? If you come to the understanding that your greatest problem is solved and that your future is bright, you can have joy. And it can be commanded of you. The requirement of joy is based upon its availability to you. Let me say that again. The requirement of joy is based upon its availability to you. Exodus chapter 5, the Israelites are commanded to make bricks without straw, and they all cry out, what? This is not fair. This is not fair. You haven't given us the materials needed to make these bricks. This isn't fair. God has commanded your rejoicing, and He can do so because He's given you the raw material. He's giving you salvation and hope the raw ingredients of joy. Choose joy because God commands your joy and He never commands what He does not supply. Understand, believer, it's hard. I'm not, I'm, I know, but I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. I'm just the messenger. I just deliver the mail. I don't write it, right? You have a duty. God commands your joy. Point number two. So where is the source? The source of joy. Look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. What is the source of your, of your joy? It is the fact that the Lord is near. What Paul is saying, what I'm saying, is that you are required to, be, to have joy regardless of the circumstances. But if you've lived any life, you're tempted to say that's naive. It's naive to think that that is... Just this week, I had a friend who lost his job. I also had a friend who lost his wife. And we continue to see many things that disturb us uh, in the world around you, regardless of what side of the coin politically you're on. How can, you, how can you do this? Paul is not, listen to me, Paul is not saying ignore your reality. That is not what he's saying. Ignore your reality, think positive. He's saying accept a truer reality. 
that what we have here is temporary and that the sufferings that you experience if you're in Christ will ultimately lead to God's glory in your good if He is truly who He says He is. Okay? Don't ignore reality. Actually see a higher reality. Right? Um, it's what he's calling from. And this higher reality, though it's hard to see and hard to feel in the moment, it's easy to feel the pain of a lost job, but the, the reality that, that Paul is calling us to here in verse 5 is that the Lord is near. Now what does that mean? Two possibilities. I'll tell you which one I lean on. Possibility number one is that the, if the Apostle Paul was saying Jesus is going to come back soon. Okay. Possibility number two is that His presence is can be with you right now and that that closeness to God through Christ that you can experience right now will lead to joy what's the answer well I think both are true I lean on number two that the Lord is near to you and that's why Christ went to the cross is so that you can be near to God and the Holy Spirit has come and to be in you so that you can feel the presence of God and have this joy let me read just a quick verse just one psalm 4 thought about this this morning listen to this prayer of david he's praying to god he says in chapter 4 and verse 7 that you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abounds that i have a deeper and more satisfying joy in god because he is near to me than when my friends who don't believe in the Lord or my enemies who don't believe in the Lord have vats of wine and silos of grain. David has a true and deeper joy. He is rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done, his deeds of old. He is rejoicing the Lord in the current realities of who he is. Nehemiah, in chapter 8 of uh, Nehemiah, They've just heard the law for the first time in a generation, really. And they're upset because they are under the weight of their sin. And Nehemiah steps in in verse 10 of that chapter and says, uh, Listen, guys, eat the fat, which is the good portion. That's like filet mignon, right? You know, Eat the filet. Drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The hope that you have in God, the re of the reality that your greatest problems have been solved, gives us strength. First Peter, this is what I'm talking about, this higher reality. Okay, First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 they're talking of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You can't see Him. Through faith, you have this inexpressible joy that is coming. Present reality, past promises, and a future hope in God. This is why we can have joy in the Lord. Choose joy, because God commands your joy, and He never commands what He does not supply. Now what's interesting in this passage, I'm going to confess to you, I see this connection, and it's kind of blowing my mind between joy and peace right now, but I think I'm on the front end of understanding it. So what I'm going to do with you guys this morning is walk you into a, a conversation that I'm thinking about myself personally, okay? 
There is a connection in this passage between joy and peace. Let me show it to you. Verse 7, okay? If, if you are rejoicing in the Lord and if you're praying to God with thanksgiving, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And that word guard, the imagery there is like a military battalion standing around um, the, the fortress. You can't get in with these guys. These trained warriors standing in front, you're not going to be able to get in. And that's what Paul's saying in this passage is that, listen, if you, if you pray like this with these thanksgivings, and we'll get to that in a minute, then peace of God will transcend all your understanding and will guard your heart just like this battalion would guard. Peace, front end joy, back end peace. All right, again, look at this, verse 9. He then Paul, verse 8, Paul gives them some things to meditate on. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then at the end of that, he says, And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen to me, put it into practice. Go do something. Right? Don't just think about it. Go do something. And then he says, And the peace of God will be with you. See, there's a connection there. So what's the connection? Well, the, uh, Frederick Meyer, who was a contemporary of D.L. Moody, this Baptist pastor said this, and, and I think it's profound, and I'm still trying to mine out the implications, all right? So be patient with me. That joy is peace dancing, and peace is joy at rest. I'll say that again. That joy is peace dancing, and peace is joy at rest. At rest. That joy is the happy expression of deep peace. In other words, you can't have joy without peace. Peace is joy at rest. That peace comes from a deep joy. You have what you want. Your greatest problems have been solved. You can rejoice, and that rejoicing, that satisfaction is what is leading to peace. They are different, but they are connected, which is why they are so closely linked in this passage. You have to have peace to have joy. And where does peace come from? Where does peace come from? From God, yes. Okay, good job. Where does peace come from? Security. That's where peace comes from. It's really hard to have peace when someone's pointing a gun to your face. Because in that moment, you have zero security. Right? Comes from Peace comes from security. In verse... Six, we're talking about anxiety. This is, the, this is the other side of the passage. Verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay? We're feeling these anxieties. And here's like, this is what Paul says. This is what you got to do. Okay? You have to run into the truth. Realize that you have everything that you've ever wanted and that you're protected from anything that can possibly destroy that. Run into that. Which leads us to the last point this morning. The disciplines of joy. What do you need to do to have it? Okay? What do you need to do to have joy? And there's three things mentioned. Okay? We'll address each of them briefly. The three things that are mentioned in order to have joy is prayer, meditation, and work. Prayer, meditation, faithfulness doing something okay the first one he says is he says here and but in do not be anxious and how do we not be anxious what's the remedy give me the medicine i want the problem gone 
But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When you ask God for something, what you're doing is realizing that you don't have it yourself. And so the first thing that you do when you ask God for something is you realize that it needs to come from outside of yourself, that He has to provide it for you. In other words, you're stepping back into the reality that He is sovereign over all creation, and you are not, right? There's a collage about prayer, right? There's just so many things that we could talk about when we talk about prayer. We could almost grab each little piece. But if I were to sum it all together in one word, the biblical teaching on prayer, I would say this, ask. Ask. Right? This is what he's saying. You want to cure your anxieties? In everything. Everything. Anything that you're dealing with. In by prayer and petition, make your requests made known to God with thanksgiving. What's that thanksgiving piece about? That thanksgiving piece is about what that thanksgiving piece about is the realization that you know what? My greatest wants and my biggest problems are solved. In everything, bring your requests to God and realize that your greatest problems and your deepest wants have already been solved in Jesus Christ. And if God loves you enough to protect you that way, and if God loves you enough to give you those things, He's probably going to listen to your prayer. You know, I haven't even worried about. The second one is meditation or the battle of the mind. Okay? Emotions stem from beliefs. Now, again, this is a huge topic I could talk a lot about. I'm not. Okay? I'm not. But let me just say it to say this. Emotions stem from deep beliefs. Okay? Think about emotions like fire alarms. Okay? Whenever a fire alarm goes off, you don't put a pillow over your head. Well, I hope you don't at least. Whenever a fire alarm goes off, you don't take a bat and smash it. You go find out where the fire is. Right? They're fire alarms. And oftentimes, the emotions that, they, that we feel are triggers that something we are deeply believing is wrong. And we need to go find that out. That oftentimes, the reason you're anxious is because the deepest belief in your heart in that moment is that God is weak and He cannot deliver you. The reason you're anxious in that moment is because the deepest belief of your heart that's driving you is that God doesn't care. Maybe He's not weak, but He doesn't care about you. But the truth of God's Word, the truth that I'm hoping you've planted yourself on, is that God is strong. He is sovereign. And He is good. And He loves you. Okay? Implanted on that truth, all of a sudden there's no anxiety anymore. Right? And so that's what, that's, what he's, that's what He's calling us to. So that's why He's saying in this passage, Finally, brothers, in the midst of your anxiety, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Dwell on those things. This is not just the power of positive thinking. That's not what this is. This is come back home to reality in Christ. That in God, you have your deepest wants and your greatest problems have been solved. Feel your emotions. They're good, but don't let them drive because that's not what they were designed to do. And then finally, action. I love this. He, doesn't, he says, essentially, come in 
pray, seek the Lord. And then he says, and meditate. You know, meditate on these things that you'll find in his word. Meditate on the truths about God. And this is all very cerebral, and we like this, right? These are good things to do. And then he says, now, get out there and do something. Okay? He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Isn't Isn't it interesting how our experience drives home some of our deepest beliefs sometimes, right? When we can get out there. James says the same thing when he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, your joy is not simply for your enjoyment and your peace is not simply for a better inner self. But God has given you these things so that you can know Christ and so that you are prepared to do something with your life. Get out there and practice, right? Get out there and practice. You will only know the depths of peace and the joy that comes from God in the midst of your faithful service to Him. Experience God? Amen. That's what we're talking about. Find community? Absolutely. Live on purpose. Go do something and experience the joy and peace of God in the midst of walking in faithfulness. Okay? So, choose joy. Because God commands your joy, and He never commands what He does not supply. You're going to walk out of here today, and there's going to be something at some point in this week, most likely, that's going to cause you anxiety. You're going to be tempted to it. I am every single week. And what I'm imploring you to do is just follow the instructions that Paul gives to the Philippians. Instructions that I'm positive that he took himself. Realize that joy is something we are commanded to do. It's our duty. And God has also given us not only the means to in Christ, but the disciplines to come back into rich fellowship with God and experience the joy and peace inexpressible that can only be found in Him. Let's pray together. The Father in Heaven, as we consider Your Word this morning, I do ask, uh, God, that You would help us to, to know You in such a profound way, to experience deep joy and complete peace. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.